Well, good morning once again. Uh, if you don't know me or if you're a guest, my name is Brian Clayberg. I'm one of the ministers on staff. And I know that a couple months ago when the traditional service came over to Sonoma, you were told you were never going to see me. And yet here I am. So uh, I think Pastor lied to you. No, I think he obviously he met in the musical setting. You would never see me because I'm in charge of the contemporary aspect of things. But every now and then when, when the, the preaching duties are given out, I get to one of those scraps. And so I'm thankful to be here this morning with you all. Uh, And Pastor will be back next week beginning a new series, The Life in the Times of Jesus. It's going to be really good from what I hear and how he's talked about it. So be sure to be there for that. I actually got, um, last month, I got the opportunity to teach and grow a little mini-series. I had a lot of fun with that. And uh, many of you I know were there, and I appreciate you coming back every time. So Uh, That was nice, but I got to do this little mini-series on the parables, and so I thought with this opportunity that I would just kind of keep that ball rolling, just because that's what I've been studying and what I've been learning in, and so we're going to look at one of the parables that Jesus taught this morning. We're going to, the the title of the message this morning is A Dead Heat Kingdom, and we're going to be looking at the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. It's found in Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, if you'd like to turn along uh, or follow along. It's also going to be on the screens, but we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 20. We're actually going to start one verse earlier than that in chapter 19, verse 30. And here's what it says. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, am I doing you? I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I chose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me, or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. I pray the Lord blesses the reading of his word this morning. So what we have here is something interesting. Um, We're dealing with the issue of equality. And if we're being honest, I think if we look at humanity in general, just in a general sense, we, we value this very much. We value the idea of equality, of treating people fairly. Uh, A lot of our social and political issues deal with such issues. 
uh, I think if we're being honest, we, we could see that there's just something ingrained in us, in humanity in general, that wants the fair and equal treatment of everyone, unless, unless it is undeserved, then we struggle, don't we? Humanity in general, I'm not just talking about believers, I'm talking in general, loves the idea of equality, but struggles with the idea of grace, if we're being honest. Getting something that you do not deserve is a struggle for many of us, and uh, actually came across this quote this week. Look at this. Little seems, it's going to come up. I think it's going to come up. Maybe this side. It's not going to come up. I'll just tell it to you. How about that? Now I've got to read it. Okay, little seems more unequal than the equal treatment of unequals. Think about that. Little seems more unequal than the equal treatment of, equal, uh, of unequals. This, a lot of people think, was coined by Thomas Jefferson. Uh, we don't know that for certain, but some of the earliest references to it have it related to Thomas Jefferson. It's the idea that little seems more unequal than the equal treatment of unequals. We don't like that idea when people who are unequal are treated as equals. That seems very unequal to us. And the reality is that uh, we don't necessarily like the idea of people getting what they don't deserve. We struggle with that idea, and this is what Jesus is going to go after with this parable. But what we have here is actually a unique parable because we have Jesus teaching both a proverb and a parable in one setting. And so we're going to deal with first the proverb. And we can see this, that that's Matthew 19 30 and verse 20, 16. And in your Bibles, it may have the parable starting in chapter 20, verse 1. But it's one of those instances in which the actual parable should have started a verse earlier. Because in the proverb, which is that idea that many who are first will be last and last will be first, it is at the beginning of the parable and it's also at the very end of the parable. The parable is bracketed by this phrase, many who will be first will be last, and the last will be first. Now, I think that when we, when we deal with this idea, when we come to this proverb that Jesus is talking about, that the last will be first, the first will be last, I think our natural instinct is to think about that in terms of putting someone in front of ourselves. That may be what would, our minds would naturally go to. Because Jesus taught a lot about that. Uh, He himself even said, I I came not to be served, but to serve, to put the needs of others before my own needs. And so it would be natural for us to think that way when we come to this particular proverb. But in this setting, this is not what Jesus is talking about. He's not necessarily talking about putting other people in front of you. He's saying, there is an instance in which the first are the last and the last are the first. So what does he mean by that? Well, I think that if we use the, maybe the, the, the thinking of a race, this will help us. A, a foot race, um, speed skating, any type of race that you could think of. Is there, is there a way in a race in which the, the first is also last and the last is also first? Because if someone crosses the finish line and they're the first one to do it, they're the first. <laughs> right? And if the last person comes rolling through and they're the last one, they're the last. There's no sense in which the last person should also be the first and the first should also be the last. Is there? Well, there actually is. It's called a dead heat. You ever heard this term before? 
I was at a race one time. I was watching uh, this happen in high school. I was watching some buddies race, and it was a really close race, and they ended the race really close, and nothing happened. Nobody, no winner was announced. There was all this commotion. People are gathered around there looking at stuff, and we're all wondering what's happening. And then they announced it was a dead heat. And I was thinking, well, I don't know what that means. I know it's very hot out here, and I'm about to die. Is that what you mean? But it turns out that the dead heat means that two or more people have finished at exactly the same time. You may have seen this maybe uh, in like a horse race. And I, listen, I know none of you have ever been to a horse race, okay? But maybe you've seen that uh, on, on the television screen. There's that line drawn, and the, the, ho- the noses of the horses are touching the line at exactly the same point. And it's known as a dead heat. And a dead heat in a race is an instance in which the first is also the last, and the last is also the first. This is so very simple. It's a dead heat. It's, they finished exactly the same. They're equal. This is the idea and the thing that Jesus is going for. And so he uses this proverb, and then he's going to use a parable to help explain or illustrate this proverb. So that's the first point that I want us to see. When it comes to the kingdom of God, we all finish in a dead heat. And this may be a struggle for some people to understand. Then he goes on to talk about the parable, which is next. So I know I read it for you, but let's just walk through it one more time. In verse 20, it just starts out by saying this, for the kingdom of heaven. Remember, he's going to explain now that proverb using the parable. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. So this is very common in this day. Uh, Oftentimes, if you were a landowner, you also had a vineyard. And if you had a vineyard... Uh, You had a staff of workers that would work that vineyard, but in specific times of the year, namely at harvest time, you would need extra help because those grapes would come up, and if you didn't harvest them before the rains came, you would maybe lose some of them. So you needed extra help beyond what your normal staff could handle, and so you would go and you would hire day laborers. And this was a common thing. Even today in parts of the world, there are these day laborers. These are people... um, they would, na- they, would, uh, they would meet at the village market in the center of the village square. Uh, they would get together every morning and they would come and they would hope that someone would come and hire them for the day. Uh, some things that we need to know about the day laborers. These, these were, in this time, people at the very bottom, almost the very, very bottom of the social economic ladder. I mean, they are steps and moments away from being beggars. They're extremely poor. They, they don't have anything. They're desperate. They, they lack education. They lack any particular skill set that they could offer for, for labor. And so they have to go every day and just hope someone needs something and that can, they can hire them out for the day. They're day laborers. Very common in this day. In fact, uh, Jesus, uh, God knew that this would happen, um, and so he made provision for the day laborers in Leviticus 19.13. You can read about this. He says that about the day laborers in the old law, if you hire day laborers, you must pay them a fair wage. And not only that, but you cannot withhold their wages till the next day. You must pay them at the end of the day. Why? Because they were so desperate for that money that day that you could not, by the old law, hold it with over to the next day. You, you had to pay them that very day. This is how desperate they were because the fact of the matter is if, if a day laborer went home without being hired that day, he went home with nothing. 
He had no way to provide for himself or his family. It was a desperate, desperate situation. And so this landowner, he needs some, some of these day laborers, so he goes to the village square, the village market. He finds these laborers, and he hires some of them, and he says, come and work in my vineyard. And then in verse 2, it says, after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Now, this is important. A denarius a day, uh, this is not only a fair wage, according to Leviticus, this is actually a very extremely abundant, generous wage. This is not something that a day laborer would normally get. A denarius for a day's work is something that a highly skilled and trained individual would receive. In fact, Roman soldiers received a denarius a day. And they were extremely (laughs) good at what they did. So to offer a day laborer a denarius for a day's work is extremely, extremely generous. And that's what he does. And they agree upon this. There's a, a contract that is happening between the two people. And in verse 3 and 4, it says, And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. No doubt those, he comes back later. Now the Jewish work day, it started at 6 in the morning, and it went till 6 in the evening. It was a 12-hour work day. And they did this for six days. And so he goes at 6 in the morning, and he hires his first group of laborers, and he comes back at 9 o'clock. And no doubt, the people that are there at 9 o'clock, as well as the ones that come later, they were there in the beginning of the morning. They saw that the owner paid the first group a denarius, which is a generous wage. So they would have trusted the generosity of the owner. And he says he makes no contract with them. He just says, I will pay you what is right. Go into the vineyard too. And they, of course, agree to this. Yes, we saw how you dealt with them. We're going to go. And they go. And he comes back again. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same thing. So he's gone at six in the morning. He's gone at nine o'clock, 12 o'clock, and three o'clock. And each time he goes and sees more laborers and he hires them out. He says, you go too. I'll pay you what is right. And they have, cre- of, of, of course, they agree on this. And then he goes back one last time. In verse 6 and 7, he says, And about the 11th hour, this would be 5 p.m., about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing. This is the very end of the workday. One hour left in the workday. He says to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, well, you go into the vineyard too. Now they aren't standing, when it says they were standing there idle, this is not laziness. These people have been there all day. Hoping, searching that they could find someone that is in need. If they were just being lazy, they'd just be at home. They wouldn't be in the village trying to find employment. And the the owner comes with only one hour left in the day. And he says, okay, you, you two, you come. Go work the vineyard. You must imagine that those that were there all the way up till 5 o'clock are starting to feel pretty gloom. Like there's no chance for them for this day. That they're going to have to go home to their families with nothing. And yet this, this gracious man comes and he hires them. And then in verse 8 comes the twist, as does in all of Jesus' parables. Has this moment where there's just this shock value. And in verse 8 it says, And then when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, but do it in a particular way. 
beginning with the last up to the first. Now, this is very unusual. Uh, Even to us, right? First come, first serve. It would have been the same thing for them. Instead, he tells them, no, you're going to go and you're going to line them all up, but you're going to start with the last and you're going to pay them first. And this is the moment at which the proverb and the parable begin to intersect. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. And in verse 9, the foreman does this and when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. And whoa, the hearers of this parable would have been absolutely shocked at this point. They were, they were hired at 5 p.m., worked one hour, and got a full day's wages. And remember, this isn't just a normal full day's of wage. This is a denarius. This is what a Roman soldier should have made. And working one hour, they received a denarius. And you can imagine that the other groups that are there, maybe they're beginning to get excited. Whoa, he gave them a whole denarius for one hour. Maybe the first group is thinking, well, maybe we're going to get 12 days of pay for one day of work. Wouldn't that be fair? If they worked one hour and got one day's wage, we should get 12 days work paid for one day of work. And of course, their hopes are dashed in verse 10. And when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, of course, But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled with the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. Now, let's be honest. This would have been our response to you. I mean, come on. This probably would have been our response. I mean, that you see that happen, and you go, Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not fair. (laughs) And that's what's happening here. And they begin to complain and they begin to grumble to not the foreman, to the master. Now, you've made them to be equal with us. And they're going to stand their ground. But if we're thinking about it, has he been unjust to them? The master says this in verse 13, but he, the master, replied to one of them, friend, this would be more translated better for us, like, listen, fella. It's kind of a stern rebuking. It's not like, hey, you know, it's, it's listen, fella. Am I, I, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I, gave to the, I chose to give to the last worker as I gave to you. And yes, they did agree to that. Remember back in verse 2. He came that morning and he said, here's what I'm offering, a denarius if you work for me today. Absolutely, we're in. Shake on it. Let's write it in blood. Whatever we need to do. And they go and they work for an entire day. So by all accounts, the owner is doing no wrong here. Even legally. Even to the Levitical law, he's doing no wrong. He's given a fair wage. He's paying him at the end of the day. The problem is not injustice on the part of the master or the foreman. What is it? It's jealousy on the part of the workers. Because how the master treated the other groups of people, they selfishly desired to be paid what they wanted and not what they deserved. 
And now, Jesus in this parable is, uh, you know, we don't know what happens. The parable ends there, and the proverb comes back in, and Jesus just says, the last will be first, and the first will be last. And we don't know what happened. If They just said, okay, and they went off. But what we need to understand is Jesus is not teaching us about economics or business principles here. What's he teaching on? He's teaching on the kingdom. There's a spiritual truth to this. He's not teaching us about fair employment wages. He's, t- he's talking about the kingdom. And so if we're going to understand this parable, there are some things that we need to understand that the Jewish listeners would have been able to put together as they go through this parable because a lot of these same things happen in other parables and they would begin to understand the references that are made. So here's some things that I want you to understand. The vineyard represents the kingdom. Okay? The next one. The master or the owner, he's God the Father. The next one. The foreman is the Son of God, Jesus Christ. The next one. The laborers represent the believers. The denarius represents eternal life. The workday represents the believer's lifetime. The evening represents eternity. Is that it? That's it. I thought there was more, but that's it. So if we think of it now, not in terms of economics or business principles, if we think of it in terms of that, we can begin to see what Jesus is talking about a little bit more clearly here. The main principle of the parable is that everyone who comes by faith to Jesus Christ receives the same glorious salvation that is prepared by the Father and given by the Son. Whether a person comes to God as a small child and lives a long and faithful and obedient life to God, or they come to Jesus with their last breath on their deathbed, both receive the same glorious eternity. Now, the thief on the cross, wouldn't this be a great example of this? I mean, the thief on the cross, he turned to Jesus on the cross with his last breath and still receives the same salvation that the apostles do. He died justly as a criminal, and the apostles, many of them are going to die unjustly because of their faithfulness. He had but moments, short time with Jesus. The apostles had three glorious years intimately walking with him. The thief on the cross knew just enough about Christ to be saved, whereas the disciples knew so much. They had divine revelation from Jesus himself about who he was. And yet both of those received the same inheritance. They received the same salvation. They received the same eternity. Now listen, this is not dealing with rewards. I know a lot of you are like, wait a minute now. I want my crowns. Don't be messing with my crowns. This is not dealing with rewards. And even the rewards that are talked about in Scripture, yes, yes, there are crowns, okay? Uh, There's the crown of life. James talks about that. There's the the crown of righteousness that Paul talks about. There's the crown of glory. There's, There's rewards, but the rewards and the crowns, you know, those things are talking about not the specific service. They're talking about the motivation behind the service. But even if we begin to get caught up with the the rewards or my crowns or any of that. Do you know what we're going to do with those crowns? <laughs> you know what we're going to do with those rewards? We're going to take them off and we're going to cast them at the feet of Jesus. 
because he's the life. He's the righteousness. He's the glory. And when we do that, it will be a dead heat once again. So maybe we shouldn't get so worried about rewards and crowns. And we should see the faithfulness of a father who just loves us and loves all of us the same, and that should be our motivation. This isn't dealing with receiving rewards or not receiving rewards, but when it comes to eternity, the gift of eternity, we all receive the same blessing. Because when we stand before God, we all put on the same righteousness that is Jesus Christ. You cannot put on more or less of Jesus than I can. I cannot put on more or less of Jesus than you can. We all wear the same glorious righteousness. It's equal. And that's the next thing that I just want us to see is this, is before receiving Christ as Lord, all people are equally lost, and after they receive him, they are equally saved. And I know for some people this might be like, wait a minute, now, okay, if this is true, if it's a dead heat kingdom, then what am I doing? Why am I even doing any labor? I'll come at the 11th hour. Well, now we're talking about motivation of your heart. And that is different. But if there is a need for motivation, you know what I was thinking about, what I couldn't help stop to think about in this parable as I went through it, was that the owner kept going back. Because by all accounts, he should have known how many people are needed in the beginning of the morning and hired them all then. Right? Like he should have been able to figure out, to calculate, I have, I have this much land, I have this many day, uh, hours in the day, I, I need this many workers. And he could have gone that morning and said, here's how many I need, come on, let's go, and been done with it. And chances are, he, he probably did that. And not only that, but it's the owner that goes. It's, this is, un, this is uh, unusual here. Because the owner in traditional Jewish um, tradition would not have gone to do this. Who would have gone? The foreman. The foreman is always the one who deals with the employees, the hiring, the firing, the, 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 the wages. But here we have the owner himself going to the market, hiring everyone he needs that morning, and then continuously coming back every few hours. Why is he doing that? What is Jesus trying to get us to understand here? Well, here's what I think it is. The compassion of the Father. He knows the desperate need that these day laborers are in. They are helpless, they are hopeless, they are in great desperation. And he goes that morning, he hires all that he needs, and he sees some are left behind, and he comes back later, and he sees they're still there, and he's motivated by his compassion. Come. Come on, you go to the field. I'll pay you what is right, just go. And he can't help it, he's so motivated by his compassion that he continues to come back every few hours. You, you go, you go. I'll pay you what is right, you go. This is great compassion on display. Because here's the reality. If we're struggling with this idea that if it's a dead heat, what, what am I doing? Why should I even labor? We need to understand that in the story, the laborers represented us. That we have at one time, we were 
in our spiritual state, standing in the marketplace, lost, hopeless, with nothing, completely desperate. And God came and said, I choose you, and I choose you, and I choose you. You, you go, you go. And he comes back again. He says, no more, more, I'll choose you, no more. And he continues throughout history and throughout time to continue to come back and to draw and to redeem and to save. In our desperation, his compassion ruled. And he came back. And so here's what I want us to see. The Father's compassion for us should fuel our labor for him. Not rewards. Rewards or anything like that should not be the motivation of our heart. What should be the motivation of our heart? The motivation of his heart, which was compassion. That he shows compassion for us in such a great way. Because the reality is, and let's be honest, none of us deserve it. Even those workers who work the entire day They didn't even deserve a denarius, let alone anything else. And yes, even the ones who worked one hour a day, they didn't deserve anything that they got. The owner could have left them all standing at the marketplace hopeless. And instead he chose to intervene because of his compassion, because of his love, and display amazing, amazing grace. His salvation, his eternity, is a dead heat. And praise God for that. Because that's how it should be. That's how it should be. We are all equally sinners, yet we are all equally redeemed. And this compassion and grace that is shown from the owner, from God, should motivate us to labor on. And I know, I stand here, I'm humbled. (laughs) To be with many of you who I know have labored and labored a life of faithfulness and obedience. And you've been such an impact on my generation and so many others. And you've labored and you've worked. And thank God for that. And I hope that our labor will not be in vain because we will see the motivation of a father who is so compassionate for us and will spur us on. And so, church, your labor is not over. See once again the great compassion of our father for you and press on. Continue to fight. Continue to stand. Continue to labor. Continue to be an example for younger generations. And yes, thank you for your example and for your faithfulness and for your service. But let's let the Father's compassion fuel us for even more. And so in a moment, we're going to have a time of response. And maybe for some of us, just a good opportunity just to thank God for His amazing grace, for His compassion. That he would come to that square and he would pull me out of that desperation spiritually. And maybe for some, maybe we've gotten a little lax. We've gotten a little idle. 
And we want to see the labor continue in our lives because of the faithfulness of the Father and his compassion for us. And you want to just kind of express that to God. Or maybe you just need to stand and you just need to sing and thank God for who he is. Or maybe you need to come if, listen, if you're not one of those laborers, join us. Right? Join us in this fight, in this battle, in this work that is so precious. What is the work that we do? Evangelism. That's the labor. Evangelism. We get people to Jesus as fast as we can. We share who he is and what he's done. And if you've never received him as your Lord and Savior, come. Some of us will be up here. We would love to pray for for you. We'd love to pray with anyone for anything. Maybe you want to join the church. You could do that in this time as well. Whatever the need is, whatever you need to respond, however you need to respond, let's focus our hearts and our minds on the compassion of our King. And let's not begrudge His generosity. Let's thank Him that it is a dead heat kingdom. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank You. Yes, God, we thank You uh, for this reality that You treat us all as equal. God, that uh, in your kingdom, we are all accepted. We are all equally redeemed, equally saved. That you, motivated by your compassion, have done that for us when we don't deserve it. So we thank you. We say thank you. Help us, Father, to see the motivation of your heart and your compassion and your grace for us. And allow that to spur us on to continue to labor for you. Thank you for giving us what we do not deserve. And help us when we struggle to do the same for others. And to you be all glory and honor and praise, God. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.